Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is the Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. I hope you enjoy. Great. Well, welcome back, Arnie. Uh, the ball is in your court now for the, the interview portion. So, yeah, as we talked about, Taylor, uh, we have a phone script that we go through. So I'm going to take a couple of the questions that are more technical oriented on that phone mm -hmm. script. Um, to kind of focus on that, but there's other questions that would be covering other aspects of your career, but these are, won't initially sound technical, but we'll go into it and you'll see where I kind of go and the process of whether we determine, you know, what determine uh, your level of background because, and mm -hmm. your experience, because there's two reasons for it. One is obviously to find out if you're a match and two is, you know, if you're coming in, we want to make sure that we level you properly so that you're a not, not over your head and B you're not, you know, not being challenged so that you're in the right place, give you a chance to grow and continue to move up. So we'll, we would dig deeper into this and in the further interviews, but this is just something to kind of give us an initial indication. Great. All right. So first question would be, uh, uh, what is the feature that you worked on that you're most proud of? Something that you really feel that you've accomplished something? Yeah. So at my last job levels, um, the the last big feature I built before I left was um, basically this homepage feature where we added static website. It just spit out the same three companies every time um, people uh, went to the website. Um, my the, basically the goal of this project was to put customized companies based off of people's location um, and the companies that we have leveling in comparison, like salary data for. So um, it was a fairly big project that I did um, mostly on my own, maybe a little help with some some SQL stuff that was already pre-existing, but um, got that shipped and basically it's on the homepage that, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand people per day click on, right? Which is cool. felt pretty good, you know, less than a kind of a year into my career to get that out. Yeah, 100,000. So that's a, that's a high decent number of clicks. Um, so did you guys, did, I mean, you're doing this, did you have to make the decision on the front end of what to display people or were you able to hit an API in the background to pull this? Yeah, um, great question. So the basically everything was um, done through um, fetch requests, right? So, it, you know, the, the front end would just register the user and then everything else we would push out. Um, we'd pull their IP address. Um, then from their IP, I would get, I had to hit another forgetting what the, it was some, some third-party API that I was querying to, to get their, um, it was like DMA ID, right? It's just what is the kind of marketing zones. And that's what we um, catalog cities by, right? So it's trying to get their city um, from there or their country. And then from that, querying our database to get back, um, what are the companies that, that match with that, that we have data for. So, and I assume the third-party one that was set up for scale so that you guys didn't yes. really have to worry about response times and did you have a fairly small package coming back or was it a yeah it was it was, it was a small um just a little json package that really all it spit back was like um a couple different id things right so we're talking really tiny package that mm -hmm. it returned that was actually the piece that that took the most amount of time um just because we were taking in that ip address then i had to query that external one before we could run our our database query the database query i could opt you know, or we optimize as much as we could, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that piece was kind of the unknown. And still there's a, if you go to the website about, 
basically the first time you go, you might not always get customized results because I had the timeout set to like um, 300 milliseconds or something for that piece because we wanted the total query to be like less than 500 milliseconds, right? So that was the piece that I couldn't really control on on <laughs> how long was it going to take that external API to return. Uh, what was it? What would you guys display with it uh, timed out? Just the the same thing we we did before, which was those those set so the static values. set. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Um, yeah. What was the the three hundred milliseconds? You were saying it timed out sometimes. How often? What was your success rate on getting that back? You know, um, great question. I didn't, we didn't do like really granular testing. That was an interesting part about working at that company. Was our metrics were very much. Um, users and um, like growth right? rather than like so our testing um, was more so like does this break things or are we seeing a noticeable drop on either of those two metrics rather than like doing real a b feature flag testing right um that being said i would say i don't know 20 percent of the time you might get back those standard results um like i just went to the website yesterday and i was like oh i got back the standard results and then i refreshed and it came back with what i was expecting right so it's interesting and with a five second timeout, would you guys display the standard results at the end of five seconds or would you display them and then uh, like screen morph into the new results? Um, we would just display the standard ones. So it was a 300 millisecond timeout from that API. Mm -hmm. And if we didn't get anything back from that API, we wouldn't even do the database call. So it would Got just it. return. So the longest you would ever potentially wait was was five, but it was, you know, the 300 milliseconds was, um, if we knew we weren't going to get anything back, like you would get the results by then. All right. So a lot of people, if that failed, it was pretty, it was almost instantaneous as far as yeah, yeah. happening. Yeah. And, and that was all modeled on the front end. So that would just display, right? All right. Let's move to the second query. So like, yeah. uh, that one was at a REST API, GraphQL, where did you guys? Yeah. Get the REST, API. Uh, REST API. Did you yeah. write that or is that already existing for you? That existed. Um, I edited it to basically take in, um, like we needed to pull IPs from that, um, but but that existed already. Yep. And did you have to worry about the, uh, you mentioned you guys had already optimized that query. Did you have to worry at all about that or go into the database and check that it still worked with the new criteria? I had to write the, the database query. Um, we had tables that existed already that I was able to use. I did actually make a whole slew of tables. Um, we had two different ways we, we we tried to do it. One where I created a whole new table that had basically the data optimized as, as much as possible. So all we had to feed it was basically one little identifier, um, which was their, their location, um, to try to re return that as quickly as possible. We actually realized after the fact, and, and basically from not wanting to make additional tables, that we then had to keep updated all the time, right? Um, that we could do a join and it took, I mean, on average, it was it was a very small difference. It was just slightly um, longer that it took to do a couple different joins and we didn't even have to make that other table. So it would basically be updated for us at any given moment. That query was significantly uh, more complicated. So I did have one of our, our lead engineers who helped me with basically, opt like I wrote it and then he was like, okay, we can strip out these things and do it slightly different way here um, and made it a little bit faster. Uh, when you said the table was optimized, how was that? Uh, how was it optimized for? Uh, for so, what I when I made that table, um, my goal was basically to only include the the data we absolutely needed, right? Which was, um, I think, a DMA ID, uh, a code for their country, and then um, just the three company names that were going to be returned, right? So that's all it was going to return. We had a different call that actually took those company names and then would generate um, the basically the, the front-end code we needed, or return all the, sorry, the actual data that the front-end needed to populate. Uh, so would, uh, was that part of, did you guys have two API calls or was that part of like the 
the logic to consolidate the data. Yeah, it was two different database calls. So we had one call just to get the names of the companies and then one call to basically get the data associated with those companies. So yeah. whenever we had a company name, we had to get um, levels, salary data, um, basically everything that that showed up in the actual UI on the front end and returned that. But that one was, that that was pre-existing. So all I had to basically do was a query to get the names specifically for the company yeah. to feed that into this existing query. And how did you populate that table? Was it like a one-time load or do you guys have to keep that updated? You're the table you created. The table I created, um, the, the reason we didn't end up going with that was because we would have had to update it weekly or, or um, I think most of, we, we had a number of jobs that would basically update things weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, the reason we didn't go with it is just because that kept getting longer and longer, that weekly update, just based off the amount of data we had that, that continued to scale. Um, but it wasn't super complicated to, to I, like I wrote that, that worker query to basically to do that update. Um, but we had a, a bunch of jobs that were doing that all in the same file. It just took, you know, at that point, I think like 20 minutes or something every time that ran. And we were recognizing that as this continues to scale and as the company continues to scale, 20 minutes can quickly become an hour. And then, you know, you know, any, at any point that could fail and you got issues. Right. Yep. Was that a flush and refresh job or would it just add new records on the back? No, um, it was it. Uh, what is the term we use? Upstart. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, upstart. Where update, update, and insert combined. So yes. if it was yeah. If it updated, if it found it, inserted it. If it didn't, yes. Um, so we regularly had new companies that were being added and new data points that were being added. So um, we had a couple uh, basically ways to track where if this was a new company, um, we'd have a, a certain threshold of data points um, to add something or add a company to our database. So once we hit that threshold, then it would insert that into our database, would generate basically some different pages on the front end. So we had a company page for that. And otherwise it would just look and see if we had any um, any new data points to add to that. If we didn't, then we just skip that, right? And we had about, there was a, maybe we're close to 2000 companies. So it's a significant amount, but not, not like it wasn't a million. Right. So no, the data points were the thing that was more frequent than the actually adding new companies. And uh, let's go with move on. So you got the data results back, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what'd you do to parse that and make it into a web page? Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. So once we returned, basically what was returned was um, our payload was three different, company um it's called company models right or company data models um that has their name it has a bunch of different um set of like um specific criteria that we knew we were going to use on the front end right that Mm -hmm. that we would use to populate this data um there was a couple different functions i ended up modifying um this this kind of everything on the homepage lived in one big file right so it was kind of a i would say very um What's the right word? Um, fragile uh, to to some extent, right? So <laughs> yeah. I had to. There was kind of an existing call that that could have made that database call. I ended up making something similar that would just make that call if someone was a first time visitor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we could just get back those suggested companies. Ended up at some point actually having to make another one where if they were a first time visitor and then also accounted for someone on the homepage adding and removing other companies because we had kind of a comparison function, um, but that ran through and we had this existing function that I had to, to edit, not, not terribly significantly, but, but because again, it was fragile. It was, 
significant amount of work just making sure it testing it, making sure it worked properly. Um, but it would go through and look at each of those companies, um, basically loop through them, populate a number of different areas on the screen based off of the data that was in there. And then um, once it basically checked through what was returned um, from our, our backend calls, it would just it would be done and that would actually populate. And before it would actually populate, we had kind of some loading buffers that just um, so the page wouldn't you know jump around once those things loaded yeah. in. What did you, you display on your buffer? It was just, they were just blank um, grayish boxes that had, I think they have vaguely look like a loading-ish thing. Yeah, like a little circle spinning or something. Yeah, I never uh, noticed we had them until I messed them up one day and I went, why does the page look so weird <laughs> before we load it? And then I was like, oh, I'm missing those boxes. Right. Was this JavaScript? Uh, what the, yeah, uh, yeah this is all full-stack JavaScript. Really just, just full-stack just um, node. HTML. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, we use some interesting stuff like Gulp on the front end to do some like data processing, but the API calls were just were just fetch calls. Yep, makes sense. Yeah. All right. So at this point, I would say you know like uh, I would generally move on to the next question because I've I've gotten good indication of a you did the work, you passed the BS test, <laughs> and B <laughs> that you can explain it to a reasonable level. Um, my assessment on this one, and we would do, we'll do a similar one in a second, would be essentially you are. And SE2, which is you're comfortable doing the work, you're comfortable understanding the work, but you're not in a position where you usually determine the work that needs to be done, which puts you yeah. probably in my category, puts you about an SE2. Um, well, that's my current level of my current job. So, so yeah, so, <laughs> you know, we're pretty, we're pretty close there. But, you know, like uh, the way I get this and um, is you were able to describe the details of what you're doing, right? you were able to describe what you set up. You did some work of like configuring some, creating a table and other things, but generally you relied, based on the way you answered, you relied on guidance from more senior engineers mm -hmm. about how you should do it and the approach you should take. Uh, but you were certainly above an SE1 who would you know, have very curated path. It sounded sure. like you were able to take some work on your own and make some of your own decisions along the way. Yeah. Um, so second question is very similar. Uh, now, normally we would go through like, four or five questions in between that are more culturally focused and also talking mm -hmm. about like, tell me something you really screwed up and how you screwed it up and what you learned from that, those kinds of questions, right? Um, in between to kind of separate these two, but I like to do it twice because this one is a little bit loaded. Sometimes people don't ask, give me a technology answer and then I'll dig into what they're proud of that wasn't technology. So I'll sure. get a chance to be that. Um, and two, you know, like everybody deserves two chances to, to demonstrate what they know, right? Uh, so the second one will go into your uh, resume. Just give me a second here. Uh, so is it Ancilia Partners? Ancilla. Uh, Ancilla yeah. Partners. All right. So, so yeah, it was good reason I should never become an English major. <laughs> <laughs> Um, since uh, you worked on several products to better access their data in a variety mm -hmm. of language, Ruby, Rails, JavaScript to say. So, all right. So where did this, uh, let's start with, where did this data reside? Why was it hard for people to access? Yeah. So we, there's kind of two types of clients that we had there. One um, was like hospital um, or, or something healthcare related. And one was like typical government agency, um, which whatever <laughs> category that might fall under. Right. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we were specifically um, cleansing their data or basically building portals that they could input files into. So then some third party could could audit their data. Um, so sometimes we were the auditors. Sometimes we just built the portals to, to audit them. Um, and then um, a project I 
did a significant amount of work on was specifically with the hospital system where they were inputting. It, it wasn't necessarily sensitive data, um, but it was just um, hospital room data um, where they were checking off if, if a room was cleaned and making sure that there was a whole checkbox of various different things they, they um, clicked off. So that made it so rather than having a whole bunch of paper reports, right, that these people were, were filling out or that the, the custodians would be filling out, there was actually all um, done on the platform and was much more visible, right? So we could generate reports based off of the platform and made it a lot easier for their supervisors to see, oh, you know, 30 rooms are done, three of them were done not at the level we were expecting and two of them still need to be done. So, the, so, you know, the custodian or whatever, they have a iPad or something? How would they, would they track it on as they were going around? Yeah, I think so. So the reason, so the big piece that I built was basically making it mobile. So before they had laptops, um, but it's supposed to be a checklist that you're Got supposed it. to do in real time. Um, but the app functioned in a way where they couldn't leave it open. It was, there was some sensitive data within that application. So if you walked mm-hmm. away from it, you had to sign off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's impossible to, you know, to do it in real time yeah. unless you swept came back quick so it just didn't work well so i built the the mobile version um so i think they were all iphone 7s um that mm-hmm. they were working off of so basically they could do it on their phone in real time uh, was that a did you was it a website or did you actually use like a swift or an objective c program to do it? uh it's a <laughs> it was all done through html and css like media mm-hmm. styling rules um so it was a a really interesting um, way to do it. And it's also like the first big project I worked on. So looking back at it, I would do it, definitely do it in a different <laughs> way now. Um, but I didn't know what I didn't know then. And that <laughs> some of the work was done in that direction. So I just continued down that path. Did you, where'd you guys host it? Was it hosted uh, locally? Like, was it a local host or was it actually hosted at some external uh, hosting site? That's a, Good question. Um, like the website's live, like you can go to it. So I'm assuming it hosted X and we didn't have like, if you're asking like where, like where were the servers based, we didn't have anything that was up and running. Right. So I think we did everything through AWS. Well, it's just, you know, like, but if you're not using local host, it wasn't running on a local server. So if you can get to it externally, it's got to be hosted at some, but yes. You didn't actually have to do the hosting. Somebody did that for you, I'm assuming. I mean, I, I was testing everything on my own local host, right? Like I had right. that, that up and running. But yes, when they were running, it was off of a production website. And, right? Okay. Somebody else handled yeah. the deployment and getting it yes. up and running in that environment yeah. for you. Cool. Um, so we talked about cleansing the data. Was it in this project, did you actually have to go back and cleanse historical data or was it just making sure the future data was clean? No, um, so I didn't do a lot of that um, cleanse data in this project. Um, mostly it was just ensuring that um, I didn't mess up anything that already existed where we were cleansing some amount of data, right? And it was more so um, access. So this was the, the, we had multiple different hospitals on the same system. Mm-hmm. And this was the thing I ran into frequently is like, okay, which hospitals can see what and which admins can see what? Because sometimes admins oversaw three different hospitals and sometimes they only oversaw one, right? And then obviously a custodial worker shouldn't be able to access other records, right? So um, that was, and this was also partially in PHP, which isn't a language I'm an expert in. Um, So there was a weird amount of like difficulty involved in just limiting access and making sure that we never messed that up, right? Or just like when when someone clicked on one thing, like they only saw what they were supposed to see and nothing else was, was generated. So that was the biggest probably data piece of it. And I know we did have some issues with that because there would be administrators who might need four hospitals instead of three. And then all of a sudden we have to make some type of 
if our database was just set for anyone who's in this system to see these hospitals, now we have to make some type of change, right? Did you have uh, any experience with the authentication and authorization layer or did you just kind of tap into something that existed? Yeah, I didn't have any experience with that at all. Um, and I also didn't have very much database experience. I mean, any database experience at that that point as well. So it was a huge learning experience from like a, a SQL perspective of like, what do we need? Like, wh why are we writing these queries and what are they limiting? It was also, this sounds silly, but my first experience with like aliases within um, SQL. So I realized like, oh, it's just a huge amount of work for me to read through and actually understand a SQL query effectively yeah. of like, what is this saying? Because by the time we're three lines into this 25 line SQL query, I'm not even understanding what we're referencing, right? And like <laughs> going back to and yeah. learning that was a, a fun experience. Now, let's take it from, uh, you know, you've you got more experience now. So if you were to approach this problem now, where are areas or going back to it, what are areas you'd really want to tackle and make it change your approach? What were things that you feel that you did that uh, with more experience now, you'd want to like have a second shot at. Yeah, well, we weren't using like responsive web design, which would have made this entire thing easier, right? So like I was doing a lot of um, like customizing of like, just like pixel perfect CSS stuff rather than being like, oh, if we drag this and we made it responsive, this most of it could be done on its own, right? So like that's a big thing is just recognizing there's solutions for this thing that I was doing in a really cumbersome way. Um, and then we also did a lot of, I was doing a lot of hiding and showing of HTML elements, depending on if something was um, was a mobile or a non-mobile screen. Because while we built the mobile side, we also had to have the, the other um, side of it functioning and the data had to be you know the same on both, which um, also seemed surprisingly complicated at the time. Um, so just recognizing that there's ways for us to do mobile development better, even if we're not going a full native approach, right? We could at least use some responsive web design um, and testing. Uh, we were like two months into that project before I found out that um, testing on the, you know, a Chrome emulated small version of a screen is different than actually testing on an iPhone. So I was like, we're ready to release. And then someone tested it on their iPhone 7 and went, uh, this doesn't line up at all, right? And I went, and then I had to go and actually find a real emulator um, to, to test that because that was a unforeseen um, hurdle at the end to get over, right? Because there's just differences, right, in how things render. And you mentioned, uh, talk a little bit about the, doing the database queries. Uh, did you get a chance in there to write your own queries? It seemed that you did. Um, yeah, that was definitely my start um, going to the the boot camp where I learned I mean, we did some minor database stuff, but it was mm -hmm. nothing complicated, right? We're, we're selecting basic data um, versus like these are, I think the, the hardest part was pre-existing queries that were pretty meaty that I one had to be able to um, understand, contextualize, and then make changes to or make some similar type of query, right? That I was going to, to get some different data from. Um, it, it just took me a long time because I didn't really have a background in it. And I think the biggest thing that mm -hmm. I try to, I learned from that and try to keep in mind is like when I'm thinking of web development, I think a lot in the terms of like maybe the easiest way to do something is looping or mapping or reducing or something like that versus the database. Maybe like we're joining or making new tables or making new columns, right? Which is almost, you're kind of solving the same problem, just in like very different tools. And at the time my brain, you know, struggled to get around them. I was like, why can't we just loop through this? It'd be two seconds if we could do this versus like, okay, we'll just make another table and uh, based off of a join and it's just, functionally the same thing, right, that I'm trying to do if I was mm -hmm. going to loop through it, right? So that was a learning experience.
And you mentioned that there were similar queries, like, uh, so you we were generating multiple, like, were there multiple queries that almost did the same thing? Um, yeah. Not, uh, not for yours, but in general, you know, for the whole group. Yeah. And, and some of that was just, we, it depended on the hospital, right? Like this hospital might need something and they have very specific columns and very specific data sets that they need and absolutely have to be there versus this hospital doesn't need that at all. And it's um, just making, again, sort of like fragile code, but it's like, if we're including columns that don't exist then, or this other hospital doesn't need at all, we're going to get error results versus, hey, we need to make a customized query for this hospital that just runs if this is what's being sent to the, the, the database side. So that was certainly a piece of it that, Looking back on it, it doesn't seem that complicated. But at the time, I was like, why can't we just use the same query, right? Uh, but this property didn't exist. This column didn't exist, right? Then tell me a little bit about your mentorship there. Who was your mentor and how were they guiding you? Yeah, I had, um, we had a lead engineer who did, a, a, I think, a, a very good job of um, kind of running the, the ship from like a, a development perspective. Um, there was also a, a more senior engineer who just been with the company for a number of years. I don't think he was a, a leader, even senior in title, but just understood the backend and actually was kind of the go-to PHP person for the office. Um, mm -hmm. So whenever there was PHP stuff, it was a lot of time me and him spending looking at it. A lot of the actual code was written by the CTO several years ago, which was interesting. So like seeing stuff mm -hmm. um, similar to what you mentioned, you know, in the first half of like Sometimes the patterns or just the the maybe the design decisions were different than what we might think of as standard nowadays. So it was, mm -hmm. sometimes it was me and this other engineer going, okay, we recognize that maybe this isn't how we would do this today, but is this worth changing, or is this worth just um, you know fixing <laughs> to what we need it to be, right? Um, and that was always kind of that was probably the most enjoyable piece of that project was seeing like, okay, sometimes we just have to figure out what are the trade offs, right, and and what's worth doing and what's not. Um, but bit a pretty there's definitely a little, um, there was a lot to do and a lot to learn, but I think those, those two engineers were, were pretty helpful in helping guide me through that process because I didn't know that language. I didn't really know SQL stuff well. And I it was my first time ever doing something in the healthcare world that involved like any amount of, you know, protected data. Right? <laughs> yeah. HIPAA and all that. But uh, yeah. If, if looking back on it, if you were to be the, the mentor going, uh, with a, somebody coming out of a boot camp, what would you do? You know, like what would you have? You, did you learn from those guys? And what would you like try to approach differently with uh, some somebody you were trying to mentor? Great question. Um, we didn't really have ticketing. I mean, we had some ticketing, but we didn't have great ticketing, or at least I'm very clear acceptance criteria. Now, having been at other companies that have, that would be a big piece. Um, if whether that was me doing that or trying to instill some of that, right? Like that was actually the thing that I tried to get up and running um, when I was leaving um, there. Is like just more clear expectations from the get-go right and i think that would help someone like myself I, coming in i didn't really even realize how much work it was going to be because let's go like, oh, we're just building a little mobile piece of this right um which which ended up being fairly complicated so that would be one piece of just trying to set clear expectations and scope the project better from the the get-go um the other thing and, and this is kind of in the same vein but probably just having smaller chunks right like rather than saying this this whole project is the goal. It's okay. Our goal is to build the mobile version of this first piece this week. Right. And then next week, you know, maybe we don't even talk about this with them, but next week, you know, as the, the senior folks, we're going to, we know we're going to build this piece and this piece, assuming things go well. Right. And we don't run into to any other issues. So just trying to scope that project better, I think would have been 
be would be the big thing that I would try to do now. Maybe a little bit more pair programming early on, especially just on like some PHP stuff or like walk through the project to be like, okay, do you get how some of this is working? Or like, this is kind of the core area I think you're going to be working in. So like any questions around this or like take some time, does it make sense to walk through this? Um, which they probably did and I'm just, just forgetting now. But, but maybe a little bit more hand-holding and, and scoping early on I think would have been helpful in the long run just because there was definitely some stuff at the tail end of that project where I'm like, oh, knowing this a month and a half ago would have been helpful, right? So, and that, that would be probably where I would leave off on this one, uh, similar to the first one. Uh, I know this is a more junior one, so I expected you to uh, discuss it and have a, a level of embarrassment about what you did because most people's sure. junior programs do, uh, which, which I got, but you probably got from that is you were able to, basically you were given something above your level at the time and you were able yeah. to work through it. You had to get a little creative from my interpretation that you didn't always know the right tools and the right techniques, uh, but you were able to figure something out to get through it. Um, but you also apparently took advice because uh, you had some areas where you wanted to do something. And I'm gathering from your mentors that they're like, yeah, don't do that. That's not the yeah. way to do it. And they may not have explained it to you in a way that you really got at the time, but you did take direction and stay away from those areas they told you to. Also mm -hmm. got from you that talking to you about it that uh, you have progressed in that you understand how to break down problems better. You basically, the mentorship question is a disguised, it sounds like a cultural question, but it is a question for me to see how well you understood the process you went through and how you would now improve that process, right? So it's a way of me understanding that you can see like, hey, there was flaws, but I see how to make those flaws better. But what you did not do, which is the cultural side, which is uh, you did not criticize anybody, um, mm. which, you know, you didn't say like, well, this guy didn't do this or this guy didn't do that. You took it as a, they did a good job, but, you know, looking back on it, I, I might have tweaked it some, which is um, the good thing that you didn't take the approach that, you know, these guys were doofuses, right? Sure. <laughs> but you also demonstrated that you learned from the experience. You have a better opportunity to do that. And you could mentor somebody who's a more junior programmer to move forward. So it gives me perspective that you can break down problems, you can work with more junior programmers, and that you have learned from your experience and move forward. So uh, that is kind of my technique of doing phone screen tech interviews. Uh, it's hidden. It's not an obvious tech question, but it's me proving, A, that you put things you didn't put anything that was BS down. Sure. Because <laughs> there's people that do put things on the resume that they can't explain, which bad, bad habit. Don't ever do that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> do, you know, it's largely to see that you have problems, you think away through problems, and that you can do that. I would, again, assess you as around a SE2 based on that discussion as well. So maybe a little different than the ones you've done in the past, but that's uh, that's just an early indicator. Um, that's the gatekeeper kind of tech interview for me to make sure that you have the necessary skills to move you forward to a more full-blown tech interview. Yeah, I like it. I, and I feel like it's more engaging too than, well, certainly more engaging than here's the leak code question. Let's both stare at it, you know, for the <laughs> yes. next half hour. Um, but also like I, I don't know if anyone's asked me questions in, in a way where they, I've had some people say like, describe a project you're interested in, right? And then kind of dug into it a little bit. Um, but, but especially that, that one at Encil, like I haven't thought about that project really since I've done it. So it was interesting to be like, oh, it's, you know, interesting to think through like, how would I do it differently? Because I definitely know like, oh, I, I don't think everything on that project went, went 
swimmingly, but um, I don't think I've specifically sat down and thought through like, what would I, I do differently about that? So that, that's a great question. And it's a, you know, I don't know how often people use that technique, but I find it a pretty decent assessment in a short period of time, right? Sure. Uh, I, I, you know, you don't want to spend an hour on the phone texting somebody, right? You, you want to yeah. do it in a decent amount of time and get a decent hit on where they're at uh, so that you can decide whether they're a fit for what you're looking for. And yeah. it's also very tech agnostic. I, I, I'm, as I mentioned earlier, I, I do believe interviews should be tech agnostic. I mean, you have to be able to explain basics, but I don't care what API you use. I don't care what text. Yeah, yeah. There's basic components that you should be able to talk through in a way that you're not throwing a bunch of jargon at me, which makes me suspicious that you're throwing jargon at me and not describing sure. what you did. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, well, thanks so much. Um, any other uh, advice or tips you want to share um, before we wrap up? Uh, in general, I like to, you know, like what you did in a couple of times is you showed a genuine, uh, you had a, not excitement necessarily, but there was like a passion to what you did, right? Even when you're a little embarrassed about the way you did this one, you know, like there's also some pride behind it and I was able to figure it out, right? Uh, you didn't use any of those phrases, but I could see that from you. And that's a, that's an important thing when you're being interviewed, like uh, to, you know, show that you really have a passion for what you did, have some pride in what you did. Even when I'm asking you about mistakes that you made, to like, you know, like say, oh yeah, but you know, it, it's that caring for what you do and doing that. Um, to me, and I don't know, you know, to everybody, but to me, that's that shows somebody who's willing to learn, really to move forward, and somebody I would want to be working with. So it's, but it's kind of, kind of, it's got to be genuine, right? Sure. Um, <laughs> so you know, if, if I ask you something you're proud of, really don't pick the best story pick something that you are proud of even if you're like hey it might not be the most complicated thing but i was proud that i was able to knock this out so yeah. i think you know the things that you really care about comes through and that's a better story than what might be what you think is your best story because it sounds cool sure and the excitement comes through right of like oh this person i call it they give a shit right <laughs> yeah, actually exactly yeah. you, have to, you have to really give a shit and that's a if you really give a shit it, it comes across and it's a better story than what you think is oh this was a cool thing because everybody told me it was but you know sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> it got a big thumbs up by stakeholders right even yeah. if you hated the project exactly yeah uh, cool well um farmer's trade i'm assuming is is hiring well we we are we'll be we'll be hiring for the rest of the year we'll kind of be probably looking to double the team the following year so uh, there'll be lots of spots if you're interested. <laughs> cool. Great. Well, we'll find Arnie on, on LinkedIn or anywhere else. Um, anything else you want to plug? No, I think I'm good. Thank you, Taylor. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, thanks so much. Thank you for watching the technical interview portion of the Professional Technical Interviewee. If you want to tackle this interview question, you can find it at github.com slash professional technical interviewee. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.